The following lecture was produced by the Rhode Island Student Assistance Services with funding from the Rhode Island Department of Health. Welcome to the Rhode Island Youth Mental Health Webinar Series. This week's topic, Fostering Resilience in Children, the Role of the Family. Remember, your feedback is important to us. Please fill out the survey in the description below for your chance to win a $100 gift card. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning into this important webinar, Fostering Resilience in Children, the Role of the Family. I am Sarah Dinklage, the Executive Director of Rhode Island Student Assistance Services. RISAS is a nonprofit agency that provides substance use prevention and mental health support services in Rhode Island middle and high schools. We are proud to bring you this second in a series of webinars on the unique role of parents and families in fostering resilience and mental health in children, a collaboration with the Rhode Island Department of Health. Our presenter for this webinar, Dr. Kevin Plummer, is a licensed child psychologist with more than 30 years of experience specializing in childhood trauma, autistic spectrum disorder, stress and resilience, and school-based therapeutic programming for emotionally impacted students. He is also the creator of the seminal brain-based therapeutic intervention program for children. His work is featured in a vast library of original articles and other program material on his free access website, kevinplummerphd.com. Located below this video, you will see a description box with links to our website and Facebook page, where we will let you know when more content like this will be released. In addition to these items, we have created a post survey to get your input on the content being provided. After completing the survey, you also have the ability to receive contact hours for your time spent watching this presentation. There will be a reminder towards the end of our video to take the survey, and we hope that you will. Thank you again for your interest in this important topic. Hey there, welcome to Fostering Resilience in Children, the Role of the Family. In this webinar, I'll explain how a compassionate family community can help children manage stress by strengthening their stress recovery system. And I'll offer several suggestions to help, help you develop your family as a compassionate community. There are some interesting things about the way the family functions that can actually help promote quicker recoveries from stress with, with children. And the factor that we'll focus on um, is the level of compassion in the family, which is highly significant for promoting recovery. Everyone has stress. Some people have a lot of stress. The stress itself is not the concern. The concern is the lack of recovery from stress episodes. The adverse effects from stress come from stress responses that stay active too long after the stressor has already passed. And to make matters worse, just a persistent worry can activate a stress response. And that can come way before the stressor even occurs. Most important thing then is to focus on how often and how quickly we can recover from a stress response. That's what resilience is all about, getting your body to reset after a stress response. Now, if you want to help your child with stress, it's definitely helpful to lower stress, you know, help your child avoid some of the sources of stress, but we're not going to be focusing on that. 
and be focusing on the recovery because a lot of stress can't be avoided. And besides, overcoming obstacles builds even more resilience. So the most important thing to develop in your children is a strong stress recovery system. Now, if you just bear with me for a little bit, uh, there's a little bit of biology I'd like to go through to give you some background for understanding the rest of the interventions in this webinar. Stress starts in the brain, enters your bloodstream, then quickly enters your muscles and joints and every organ in your body. You feel that stress and the increased sensitivity in your skin, the tenderness in your joints, in your throat that feels dry. Sometimes it's that trouble getting a breath or the upset you feel in your stomach. Stress lives in the body, that's the point, and it's kept alive with a steady pumping of stress hormones until your recovery system takes over, quiets the stress response, and coasts your body back to homeostasis. Resilience, as I said in the beginning, is about your ability to reset your body's stress response, to quiet the stress response, so that high stress does not become chronic and continue to build. That's the goal, develop a strong stress recovery system. So how do we help our children with this? The body has two divisions of its autonomic nervous system. That's the nervous system that runs automatically. The sympathetic division runs the stress response and the parasympathetic division runs the recovery. The stress response definitely doesn't need any help from us. It's usually overdeveloped. After all, it's critical for survival. It gives us that quick call to action, makes us alert and energized and ready to go in less than a second. And that's a good thing. But the recovery system, that could definitely use a little boost, a little training, because sometimes it's not so quick to quiet the stress response, even though the stressor is long gone. There are ways to help our children build a more responsive recovery system, a quicker and stronger parasympathetic response. There are ways to give it a boost when it's time to recover and to activate it throughout the day so it can raise the level of baseline calm that your children experience so that when a stress response does occur, it's not piled on top of an old one that hasn't yet recovered. The family can play a significant role in helping children develop a more responsive stress recovery system. So the rest of this presentation will focus on three ways that the family can help their children strengthen their stress recovery system. Listen, being a parent is hard work, that's for sure. And working on stress recovery, it takes time. Some, often it's time we don't have. It's not easy to do. So I'd like you to just be patient with yourself. Um, as I go through this material, think about just a few things that you think you could do. Nobody can do everything and nobody can do everything all the time. And you don't need to. Besides, you're probably already doing things to help your children with stress. So don't pressure yourself to apply everything that I'm talking about in this webinar. If you focus on just one of these topics, you can add something to the resilience in your family. You can always come back and review certain segments when you feel like you want to do more. Family as a compassionate community. Every family is a community with its own culture, its own way of doing things, its own value system, its own set of expectations and routines. Resilience in children is strengthened when the family functions as a community of compassion, a place where children know to be listened to, understood, and supported. Compassion fosters resilience in children because it strengthens their stress recovery system. In this section, we'll discuss how a compassionate community creates a settling effect on the brain and the body. Everyone 
feels more calm and relaxed, less stressed, more safe and more secure in a community where people are kind, polite, patient, and caring, where everyone tries to be helpful, cooperative, and respectful, where appreciation is openly expressed, where people compliment and encourage each other and celebrate each other's successes. A compassionate community like this quiets the stress response and gives people a great chance to recover from the stress of their day. This, this is how that works. While you spend time in a compassionate community, your brain produces an abundance of oxytocin and serotonin, hormones and neurochemicals, and this stimulates the vagus nerve, which is often called the nerve of compassion, to engage your parasympathetic nervous system to lower your blood pressure, relax your respiration rate, and quiet the stress circuits of your brain. So just to go back over that, your parasympathetic nervous system, as we discussed earlier, is the division of your nervous system that coasts your body back to homeostasis. The vagus nerve is activates that system and oxytocin and serotonin stimulate the vagus nerve. And while you're spending time in a compassionate community, you're producing an abundance of oxytocin and serotonin. So that's the connection. That's how all of that works. Also, here's another good thing. Lowered stress helps the brain to think more creatively. It helps your brain to broaden your perspective and it allows you to think, reason, and problem solve more easily. That's your brain on low stress and the feeling of compassion lowers stress. When your children feel compassion, and we'll discuss how families can teach them to feel that more often, the experience of compassion not only quiets the stress response, that has them feeling more relaxed, more confident, less defensive and reactive, and better able to recover from making a mistake. When our brain is on the neurochemistry of compassion, we are more open to suggestions and direction, more willing to make an effort, and better able to listen, patience, and understand. All of those characteristics enable your children to try harder and try more, to not give up. And when they do that, it leads to even more strengthening of their coping resources. The neurochemistry of compassion also gives the brain a more positive perspective of the people that we deal with in our day. So children of a compassionate community are more likely to fully appreciate and form positive relationships with the people around them. On the neurochemistry of compassion, they're more likely to store positive memories of their experiences with people. Your children can internalize those positive memories and their feelings about those positive relationships, and they can take that with them to school, onto the soccer field, and into all their experiences with peers. So where, where do you start? Building a compassionate family community starts with a clear family understanding of its core values. So that's where you start. The start starting point is being able to articulate what are those core values that build compassion within the family. Here's an example. In a compassionate family community, you want your children to learn about and uphold values such as these. It's a long list, so pick what you think should be most important for, for your own family. I'm not gonna read the whole list, but uh, for example, our family members respect each other's ideas, show thoughtfulness toward others, show sensitivity and respect for the feelings of others, 
Our family members are polite and considerate. They're cooperative and helpful whenever possible. They listen to each other with an intention to truly understand. Our family members are supportive and encouraging. And they're generous, charitable, and forgiving. So you can see there's a lot more core values on that list. But these are just words. Think about how you might bring these words to life in your family. You might start by turning that list of values into your own family pledge. In a little bit, I'll show you how to use the pledge to bring the values to life. But the pledge is the starting point. In this family, you are cared for. You are helped when you need it. You are listened to with intention and thoughtfulness. You are understood. You are treated with courtesy and respect. You are appreciated. You are treated with patience. Your accomplishments are celebrated. Your efforts are recognized and appreciated. Your feelings are considered with sensitivity. Your ideas are important and you are important. In this family, you will feel valued, worthwhile and proud. You will be given every chance to do your best and be your best. You will feel safe and secure. You will have hope, you will succeed. You will see each day as full of promise. So that's the starting point to take the core values of your family that you decided upon and turn it into a pledge. You can turn this pledge into a poster and use the language from it to reinforce your children when you notice them doing any of any of those things. Just as you can use the same vocabulary to correct or redirect them. That's how you give life to a pledge. Uh, but more important is that this pledge creates a shared vocabulary, a way for people to eventually put words to their experiences so that those experiences can be internalized. I'll give you some examples of how to do this uh, so that you can consistently label daily experiences so your ch children will learn and remember what it looks like, sounds like, and feels like, and what it means to act according to the various family values. For example, you'd borrow a language from the pledge when you need to remind or redirect about more respectful communications among family members. That's just an example. <clears throat> it might sound something like this. In this family, we're trying to understand each other, trying to be polite and respectful the way we respond to each other. Sometimes it's not easy, I get that, but we're all trying to do it. We're all working on it. So that's what I'm asking you to do now as you listen to each other and work out a solution. In this family, that's how we're trying to treat each other. So that is how you might redirect or correct by using language from the pledge and how the current situation and behavior can be understood in terms of that pledge. Um, now you can't think this way every time you correct your child, but make it a point to try this some of the time. It gets easier and more of a habit and eventually becomes a mindset in the entire family the more that you repeat it. Uh, but don't hold yourself to a standard that you've got to be perfect, you've got to be able to look at a situation and put it in terms of the pledge because you want the, your children to understand how what the family's expectations are. Um, if you set an intention 
to do this occasionally, catch yourself and try to do it. The more you do it, the more, the easier it will be, um, the more familiar it will be to your children. So when you redirect in this way, it becomes a much more teachable moment. The action stops and you shine a light on what's important to you and the family right at that moment. This helps your child see what you mean by those words in the pledge. It not only gives you a way to be consistent about your message to the family, it also lets your message be about something more than your child's behavior. It makes the message about character, the character of your children and the character of the family. Here's another suggestion that can bring the values of the compassionate family community to life. Use yourself as an example to show your children what it looks like, what it sounds like, and what it feels like. Maybe it's something like this. Did you notice the way I've been listening to you? I had my phone put aside. It gave you my total attention without interrupting because I knew what you had to tell me was important to you. That's what respectful listening feels like. Listening with patience and listening with the intention to truly understand the other person. That's what I was doing. Thank you for telling me what was worrying you. I'm going to be thinking about what you said, and we'll work something out. You can also be a model of compassion by routinely telling children stories about your day, about the experiences that you had that gave you a chance to be the kind of person you wanted to be, the kind of person that would make the family proud. You can also use language from the pledge to recognize outstanding behavior. Something might sound something like this. It didn't go your way today, but it wasn't because you didn't give it your best. What really impresses me about you is that you keep trying. You don't hold back and you don't give up. You're a determined person and that's gonna take you a long way. Well, here's another recognition statement using language from the pledge. I really appreciate how you took the time to help me out today. You were so patient when you explained every little detail about how to do that. I know I'm not so quick to get tech stuff, so your patience really means a lot to me. Recognition, when it's highly specific like that, when it refers to an actual example, creates a strong visual, emotional, and auditory memory, a complex memory. It also builds character. So the words of the pledge, the words that describe the family as a compassionate community, will come alive for the child in the experiences that you choose to recognize in this highly specific way. You're making a meaningful memory while you're building character. Finally, set an intention to catch yourself and convey compassion when you see your children struggling or when your child's behavior seems to trigger your impatience. Um, children are imperfect developing human beings. And so many times they're struggling with something. They don't want to be upset, a source of trouble, a source of frustration, or a source of irritation and disappointment. So look for the child behind that struggle. Remember, Children want to be happy, successful, and smart. They want to be helpful, proud, and well-liked. But there are reasons why they can't be who they want to be at certain moments. We have to try to embrace them during their struggles. That's another way that you can model compassion. Our children are counting on us. 
to help them find their best selves. Now that is not something, understandably, uh, everybody's human. We all get impatient. Um, we, we develop a short, short fuse sometimes, and we say what impulsively comes to mind, maybe sometimes we regret it afterwards. Don't worry about that. Those instances are what's important. What's important is how often can you set an intention to catch yourself before you have something to say? And again, as I said before, this takes practice, it takes repetition. Pick and choose your opportunities then slowly grow the approach because it will become easier. It will become more of an instinct. You'll see it as more of an opportunity to convey compassion. The rest of the segments will look closer at different ways to further develop your family as a compassionate and resilient community. So take some time to digest what you've heard and then maybe come back and start the next segment. This segment is attunement and empathic listening. Being in the presence of a person who understands you, who's tuned into you, who cares about you, gets what you're feeling, is a tremendous stress reducer. When children sense that adults are attuned to them, they're more emotionally settled and they feel more secure throughout their day. Highly attuned time with your children helps them to reset their stress response and it further develops their skills in modulating emotion. If the adult is distracted, detached, not fully listening, not noticing the child's emotion, it's difficult for the child to derive any reassurance from that or for that encounter to help them engage their emotional regulation process. Children increase their worry about their own problems when they're with an adult who's detached, only half paying attention, not truly listening or understanding. No one can be attuned all the time. You don't have to be, and your children, they don't want you to be. Any increase in the depth of your connection with your child, the frequency of time that you're highly attuned, will positively impact the biological stress response of your child. Not just while your child's, not just while you're in the presence of your child, but throughout their day. Let's see how that works. During infancy, the bonding process process between parent and child wires the infant brain for emotional self-regulation and self-soothing. A high level of attunement during the bonding process creates a more elaborate emotional regulation neural network. A lack of attunement causes infant distress and disrupts the development of their emotional regulation system. So this is the beginning of the development of stress modulation and this continues throughout the child's development. Parent-child attunement not only strengthens the child-parent bond, but it continues to help the child develop emotional regulation. This is how attunement between people calms the stress response. Social interactions that promote empathy and bonding and genuine caring, where both parties are attuned to the feelings of the other. Social interactions like that create an oxytocin effect. Oxytocin, you might remember, is the hormone that promotes parent-child bonding during infancy, and it also speeds up social processing. It increases a sense of trust between people. So it facilitates social connectedness, and it also makes social encounters feel more rewarding 
Oxytocin triggers the release of serotonin and both of these chemicals settle the brain and body. They stimulate the vagus nerve, which engages the parasympathetic nervous system to quiet the stress response and restore calm to the body. That's how attunement works. It's a biological moderator of stress. It's easy to become distracted by your own thoughts, <clears throat> excuse me, by your computer or the television or by your phone. That's inevitable. However, it's important that when you decide to pay attention to your children, you deliberately, with intention, shift your focus onto them, onto their words, their voice tone, their body language, and especially their facial expressions. They'll be doing the same with you. That's how you achieve attunement and create an oxytocin effect. That's how you help your child reset their stress response. Now, just a word about setting, setting an intention. Um, and you've heard me use that term before. That's no more than that you make up your mind to do something in a different way, to go against your default setting. Um, and you do that repeatedly until it becomes your new default setting. So, you know, you could set an intention to be a more intent listener. Um, you could set an intention to notice uh, ways in which your child is acting in ways that fulfill the elements of the pledge that we mentioned before. You could have dozens of intentions, that, but uh, you shouldn't try to have too many because an intention is supposed to trigger you. Uh, so if you set an intention to listen more intently to your child, uh, then your child starts talking, it should trigger that in your brain uh, and remind you this is what you're trying to do differently. If you have too many intentions, uh, nothing will get triggered and uh, there won't be anything that you're doing differently. So be selective, one or two a day uh, that are gonna, gonna help you do things differently. Um, all right, listening more intently to your child. Maybe your child is telling you about a proud moment or a worry, or they're just trying to get your opinion. If you find yourself staring off, catch yourself, bring your focus back to your child, and don't look past your child to the TV, to the others in the room while your child's talking. No one can do this all the time. So don't put that expectation on yourself. Just catch yourself and try to do this some of the time. If there's too much going on around you, move to a quieter place. If you're immersed in an activity with your child, like reading a story, playing a game, building something, cooking something, try not to break away to carry on conversations with others in the room during that um, moment with your child. When you're immersed in an activity with your child, or riding in the car, or on errands, taking a walk, watching a show together, be sure to occasionally comment on that moment. Make a remark about how nice the moment is. Bring the child with you right into the present. A simple remark, something like, this is nice, I'm glad we're doing this together. That's all you need. If you're unable to provide the attention that your child needs at the time, and you can't always, just let your child know when you can. Hey, as soon as I finish this call, you and I can take a walk and then we'll have a chance to talk. It's better to do that than to try to pretend to pay attention because you're distracted by something else. 
When you have an attuned moment with your child, you're showing them that you not only understand what they're telling you, but you get why they're telling you and how they feel about what they're telling you. So listen for and respond to the emotion that is under the message. Ask yourself, why is my child telling me this and how do they feel about what they're telling me? Turn your body to your child, bend down to listen, make eye contact, look for the small indicators of how your child feels right at that moment and use your own facial expressions and gestures as well as the tone of your voice to show that you understand how they feel. Use physical gestures of comfort, nodding your head, a hug, a pat on the back, a rub of the shoulder, and express empathy, you know, even if you can't make the situation better. So taken all together, these are various ways to increase your level of attunement. There are also different ways to listen that show you're attuned. Compassionate listening is one way. With compassionate listening, you set an intention to start your listening off with your heart open to the person right in front of you. Listen in a way that conveys patience, that shows you have nothing else to do and nothing else to think about right now. Allow your child plenty of time to explain. Don't be in a rush. And even as you're responding, leave some space to listen. Watch your child's response as you're talking to them and make adjustments on what you say or how you say it until you're convinced that you understand each other and that you're talking about the same thing. Listen more than you talk and avoid long speeches. That's not easy for most of us. Another way to listen that shows you're attuned is reflective listening. Listen for your child's understanding of what you're trying to say and restate what you need to say if you pick up on signs of confusion. Don't just keep going along. Also, clarify what you think your child is trying to tell you. Repeat it back so you're sure you understand. And you do that before you offer a response. Otherwise, your response could seem too dismissive. Self-control is another listening strategy to achieve attunement with your stressed child. Now, this isn't easy at all, but resist the impulse to jump in and try to fix things. Stepping in too quickly can trigger feelings of inadequacy, and that could undermine your child's confidence rather than lower their stress. It can also signal to your child that you're uncomfortable, that you can't sit with what they're telling you. Jumping in too quickly can give the impression that you need to have it solved before you become even more overwhelmed. Remember, the child will modulate their stress while picking up on the level of calm and the level of attunement of the person listening to them. Here are a couple of additional ideas as we wrap up this segment. Try to be non-judgmental. Instead, validate your child's feelings. Like, I totally get why you would be mad about that. And do more commenting than questioning. For instance, wow, that must have been tough. That's a comment. Too many questions can frustrate your child because questions require them to formulate an answer while they're trying to figure out how to tell you something. So our comments allow the child to continue to focus uninterrupted on what they want to tell us. Keep it about them 
and don't turn it into your own story. Resist the temptation right at that moment to tell about a similar thing that you've been through. We all do that. It's a natural instinct. But also don't come up with, don't come up with something worse as a way to help your child feel better about their own concern. Most of us can remember a number of times that we've done that. Uh, and, it, and it doesn't make the child feel any better. It actually uh, causes them to think that we're off of what bothers them and onto something we want to talk about. So we have to manage ourselves during the conversation, our own feelings, our own needs. It's not the easiest thing to do when we feel so strongly for the child right in front of us at that moment. One way to do this is by finding a way to ask your child, how can I help you? Remember, not everything has a solution. Some things are difficult and cannot be made easy. Some things must be endured, but that's a chance to teach our children how to develop greater tolerance for distress. Time with an attuned, caring person will help your child to develop greater tolerance for the things that can't readily be solved. When your children are facing the challenges of the day, they will find resilience in the feeling that they have people who are attuned to them. People who can help just by listening, understanding, and empathizing. Gratitude, appreciation, and positive actions. The feeling of gratitude, really appreciating a wonderful moment or a gesture of kindness can undo a negative emotional state and reset the stress response system. Intense appreciation triggers the nervous system to restore the body to an emotional and physiological state of calm and well-being. The vagus nerve, the largest nerve in the body, runs this process. Your feelings of gratitude stimulate the vagus nerve, which quiets the stress response, calms the system, and returns the body to a state of homeostasis. Connecting with your feelings of gratitude and expressing appreciation is an evidence-based, resilience-enhancing behavior. And this can be cultivated in your family. If you increase your attention to what you appreciate throughout your day, you will achieve higher levels of calm during your day. And your stress response will be less overreactive. The more frequently you engage in the practice of appreciating, the greater the benefit, and the more you're actually changing your brain's ability to find and remember things worth appreciating. This takes practice at first and commitment, but it's one of the best things you can do to lower your baseline stress. Keep in mind, this is not about making more good things happen in your day. It's about helping your brain get better at noticing the good things that are already occurring. That will shift your neurochemistry and that will calm your stress response. The feeling of gratitude also has the vagus nerve activating the body's social engagement system, making it easier for your brain to use eye gaze and voice tone to convey and read emotion, making it easier for your brain to use and read facial expressions. People use the social engagement system to bond, to feel safe, secure, protected, and connected, to feel cared for. And this is especially important when we're stressed. Your brain on gratitude makes social engagement easier and social support is a primary modulator of stress. 
So positive emotional states, especially the feeling of gratitude, can create the optimal neurological and hormonal conditions for engaging with others. The family is the perfect place to cultivate a practice of gratitude, to teach your children how to notice things worth appreciating and how to express that appreciation, small moments in the day, as well as larger gestures. It will do great things for your child's stress recovery when they can do this routinely. Start by using yourself as an example. Set an intention, here's that phrase again, to express thanks and appreciation to the people you're close to, but also the people that you casually encounter throughout your day. This is your chance to interrupt your own stress response while teaching your children how to do the same thing. Here's an example of modeling appreciation that you can do in your own home. You might find an opportunity like this. I really appreciate how patient you are with your little brother. He likes playing with you. And even though he doesn't know how to play the game the right way, you still try to make it work. I just wanted you to know, I noticed how patient you are and I appreciate it. Or it could be a situation like this. The family room is completely neat and picked up. Thank you so much for helping. I really appreciate how good you are at organizing things and making things neat. Setting an example of appreciating is not done as a lesson in manners or because people should be obligated to say thank you. Don't get me wrong, teaching good manners is important, but appreciating something or somebody in our discussion is about changing your own brain training your brain to recognize more things worth appreciating so that you can experience more moments of gratitude instead of missing them. And so you can benefit from the way that gratitude modulates the stress response. This practice will, will also help you shift the narrative of your day. The story you tell yourself at the end of the day has a lot to do with what you're looking for when you start your day. Go into each day with an intention to look for what you appreciate and ask this question throughout the day without any need to come up with the answer. Just asking the question is enough. Who or what do I appreciate the most right now? Just periodically asking that question creates a space in your brain for the experience to be noticed when it does happen. Noticing what you appreciate as it is happening is so much more powerful than trying to recall later and writing it down in a gratitude journal. So explain this to your children, explain how this is done, explain how this works. We see everything, our eyes work fine, but not so much do we truly notice. So you wanna help your child become a noticer of the good and to be more mindful of the moment. It might be helpful to establish a family definition of what is kind and compassionate, to put words to what you want your children to start noticing. It could be something like this. In this family, people will be kind and giving. They will help each other, do things for each other, try to understand each other, appreciate each other, and encourage each other. Ask your children to notice when others throughout their day are kind or helpful or caring and thoughtful. Give them an opportunity to tell you about a moment like this or about something wonderful that they noticed or appreciated in their day. This could be a topic at mealtime or bedtime or when children are riding with you in the car. 
What you notice when you appreciate, what, what you notice that you appreciate can become a common theme as you and your children tell about their day. When children sharpen their skills in recognizing kindness, when their brains get better at appreciating small, wonderful moments, children start seeing the good all around them. And this has a profound settling effect on their stress. Here are some examples of what your children might notice and appreciate in their day, just to give you a sense of how significant small things can be. Maybe someone really listened to you and took you seriously when you had something to say. A hummingbird stayed right next to the spot where you were standing. Someone was super patient in showing you how to do something. Someone asked for your help or needed your expertise. Your pet greeted you with a warm and a friendly look. Check out that little furry kind. Someone took the time to show you how to make something. Your homework took so much less time. You just mastered something you've been trying to learn. During a stressful time, it's natural for us to focus on problems, on what's wrong, what's lacking, what is bothersome, what's irritating, what's not working. That's how our brains are built, and that's what raises our baseline stress all day long. That's why we have to work on shifting our default focus to more of what we appreciate, so we notice more good in the day, and so we can quiet the stress response when we don't need it. There won't be more good in the day, but your brain will get better at noticing the good that's already there. Some people naturally search for the positives in the day, but most of us have to make an effort to train our focus in that way. It's easy for positive experiences to be overshadowed by negative experiences. So it's easy for positive experiences to be forgotten or to go unnoticed altogether. But we can't afford that after dealing with the stress of the day. Throughout the day, ask yourself and prompt your children to do the same. One or more of the daily reflection questions. Not all these questions. Pick one or two. Like, what obstacles did you overcome today? What was an experience that made you feel proud? Maybe you go into the day with an intention to remember an act of kindness. Maybe pick one or two questions or intentions to take into the day. Things you'll be looking for that will give you a memory of a positive experience. Don't try to focus on too many things, just one or two at a time. Some negative thinking can't be avoided, but too much of this type of thinking throughout the family can create a culture of negativity and a buildup of chronic stress. The more you ask some of these reflection questions, the more you are creating the space in your brain to recognize uplifting experiences when they happen. These experiences create a sense of balance, a feeling of control, and a sense of well-being. They turn down and turn off the stress response. Don't worry about the answers to the questions. Repeatedly asking the question is the critical part of this brain training experience. Helping out others is another way to reset the stress response. When you help someone who really needs it, when you feel like you're part of the greater good, you are more likely to experience a state of calm and well-being. This experience of elevation, that's what the feeling is called. Just like the feeling of gratitude stimulates the vagus nerve and that engages the parasympathetic nervous system to create the feeling of calm and well-being. 
Think about what each member of the family can do to help out the family. This could be called their family contribution. Try to match people to their strengths, to what they like to do, what they do well. And instead of assigning chores and commanding children to do them, establish a culture of community service. Community service within the family, where everyone is appreciated for what they can contribute and everyone is expected to have a helping role. Make a list of some of the examples of helping out the family and then ask your children what they want to add and what they think they could do to help out. Where could they contribute? Sometimes children can think of things that the, the adults would never think of. Here are just some examples. Keeping specific areas neat and picked up, putting together music playlists for the family, researching movies to watch, helping to cook a meal or a dessert, playing a game with a younger sibling, showing others how to use or access electronics, or even exercising the family dog. This is the point I've been trying to make in this segment on gratitude and appreciation. All day long, small stressors enter our brains and take up residence in our bodies. You know, maybe there's a little traffic on the way to work or a test was just announced in class or your dad packed a snack that you definitely don't like. Your friend is sitting with someone else at lunch. Little stresses pile up all day long and live in the body. They increase our irritation, our impatience and moodiness Unless we have experiences that reset the stress response. By increasing our ability to notice what we appreciate in the day and by actively helping out others, we can get better at resetting the stress response. And more often, we can restore ourselves to a calm and settled state. So we've reached the end of this webinar. Maybe you paced yourself and watched one segment at a time, or maybe you selected just one or two segments to focus on. Either way, I want you to keep in mind that you should be patient with yourself. No one could do everything that's recommended in this webinar. That would definitely stress you out and wear you out. Besides, to boost resilience, you don't have to do everything. Just pick a starting point, something that resonates the most with you and go slowly go back and review material as you need it and as you want to be reminded of what to do take your time change takes time that's why you have to be patient with yourself you have to do the same thing over and over and over again before it becomes a habit or a change in your default setting but you don't have to be in a hurry the resilience building efforts that you make in your family will have a lifelong impact on your children's stress recovery system because they change the brain and they change the way the body modulates stress. Your children will take this wherever they go and whatever they do, through childhood, adolescence, into adulthood, and into the way they raise their own family. The family as a compassionate community has tremendous potential for developing resilience in children because the elements of a compassionate family, its values, level of attunement, ability to notice and appreciate the good, and its willingness to help out, all those things serve to biologically reset the stress response. Remember, the key to resilience is not the elimination of stress, it's the development of a more responsive stress recovery system. 
I'll leave you with this. The family is a tremendous source of resilience for children. It's the most significant source and the first source available to a child. But it's not the only means of achieving greater resilience. There are numerous personal activities and practices a child can engage in that can also strengthen resilience. Those are activities that restore a settled state to the mind and the body, activities that can also reset the stress response. We didn't cover those other things because that's a substantial topic for a separate discussion. But the compassionate family community creates the foundation for the development of all those other coping skills. Listen, thank you so much for your kind attention and good luck to you and your family. Thanks for listening. To find more content like this and see the video version of these webinars, please see the links in the description below. If you like this one, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.